So has anybody noticed that we've only done hymns today? Isn't it nice to sing some of the old hymns? Some of them, it's interesting as I was listening and as we were singing, um, you know, some of them were songs that I remember, like Morning is Broken, I remember from when I was just a child. I probably remember it more from the Cat Stevens song than I do from anything else, but I also remember um, one of the songs we sang this morning. Uh, when I worked in radio, uh, one of the ways we paid the bills was we ran Bible tapes at night, or, or you know, the preacher shows, we used to call them. And, and so we would run you know, these, these shows, and somebody would have to be there in the room, and you'd have to be listening because you had to know if the tape was running. And that was unknown to me, ministering to my heart and calling me towards Jesus. And, uh, and so to hear some of those songs, it just really touches my heart. This last one we just sang, we're going to spend some time with this morning. So will you pray with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, as we've just sung, please be our vision. Be Lord of my heart. Be my best thought today. Let your presence be our light in these moments. You are my treasure, my inheritance, my joy. Open your word today that we may drink from it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So how many of you know that the song we sang last, Be Thou My Vision, had something to do with St. Patrick? Did you know that? Nobody knew that? Nobody? Really? Boy, are you in for a treat this morning. <laughs> I want to do some storytelling this morning, and I want to tell you a bit about this song. But more than that, I want to focus on its main point, that Jesus needs to be our vision, the center of our focus. If we're going to run that race, if we're going to persist until the end of life, following Jesus, we need to fix our eyes in a space where Jesus is. And we need to run to the finish line. So what happens? Have you, I need glasses. I've got these on and off all the time. I'm still adjusting to these, you know, transitional lens things that, you know, you, you're kind of doing this as you get started. What happens when vision starts to fade? You know, some of you have experienced cataracts. You know, when you get a cataract, and it begins to cloud the lenses of our eyes. And, and, you know, if they're bad enough, it can be a little bit like looking through a dirty window. You uh, can't see as clearly as you should. The other day, um, I was finishing some work outside, and, and uh, Bonnie drove up, and so I went down to say hi. And, and, and as she got out of her car, she noticed that my mirror from my van was laying on the ground. Not, not the whole housing, but just the mirror part. And, and it was all busted up or all cracked up. And uh, that's about the fourth time it's been clipped. I always try to remember to fold it down, but it seems like every time I forget, it gets whacked. Well, the glass all stayed in the plastic frame, even though it was broken, so I was able to pop it back into the mount. But now... When I sit in the car, in the van, and I, and I look into the mirror, I have a hard time seeing what's behind me. I can see, you know, something's coming, but actually when I look in the mirror, I see a whole lot of something's coming because it's like having, you know, 10 or 15 different mirrors. 
But I can see that something's coming, but I cannot see clearly. The picture is distorted. It's fragmented. And it would be useless if I had to try to back into a parking space because I just couldn't do it. And, and I have yet to have the, have the experience of pulling out into traffic. Uh, that's going to be difficult as well. So I, I'm going to have to repair that pretty soon. You know, when we take our eyes off Jesus in our Christian walk, it's, it's like having cataracts. Uh, it's like clouding over what we see. Or it's a little like that broken mirror. It, it takes our vision and it fragments it into dozens of different pieces, pointing all at slightly different angles. When we can't see clearly, it's hard to stay on track. To see where Jesus is leading us, we have to have a focus. We have to have a clear vision. Otherwise, it's hard to get where we need to go. There's only one way in Christian life that we can keep on track, and that's to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Uh, if you're a golfer, you know, one of the first things they teach you is keep your eye on the ball. Because if you don't keep your eye on the ball, you know, if you're on the tee, you'll whiff that. <laughs> you can miss the ball entirely or have it trickle off to the side. That's so embarrassing in front of your friends. Or, or if you're not watching the ball, it's easy to slice that thing over here. Mine usually goes in the water. Or you can hook it over here into the woods on this side. You know, that ball doesn't go where it's supposed to go. Well, we need to keep our eyes focused on the ball in golf, and we need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus in Christian life. I want you to take a look at a piece of Scripture with me this morning. It's the first couple of verses in Hebrews 12. If you have your Bible, you're welcome to read along with me and look at these verses. Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. It starts off, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what witnesses are we talking about? Well, it's like reading in context. You have to go back to see what the witnesses are. And the previous chapter is Hebrews chapter 11. It's a list of all these people who followed God closely by faith. Last week, we called it the Faith Hall of Fame. And now in this chapter, the writer invites us to do something, to, to envision something, to picture something in our minds, to picture all of those people down through history from Abel who's first mentioned down to the persecuted prophets to picture all those people as a crowd looking on as we run the race. And they're gathered along the way and they're cheering you and they want you to finish the race and it's not about the competition, it's about the goal, it's about the destination, about the finish line and reaching the finish line is breaking the ribbon as you cross the line and running right into Jesus' arms. That's how the race is supposed to finish. Keeping your eyes on the prize, you finish the race. So the hymn, Be Thou My Vision, talks about one vision, one vision only, 
be thou my vision. Who's he talking to when he's saying that? Be thou my vision. He's talking to Jesus, isn't he? Be you, be my vision, my target, my goal, the finish line. Song has a great history, and I want to tell you about that this morning as we go along. It descends from writings about St. Patrick, and some perhaps even from St. Patrick. We don't know for sure. But I'd like you to consider for a minute this man's life out of the context of green beer and funny hats. I want to think about him in a different way this morning, as a saint of God. Now, you may know the story. You may know that, that St. Patrick was kidnapped by pirates. Uh, he was from England. He was kidnapped when he was about 16 years old. And he was taken out into captivity in Ireland. And he spent a number of years in slavery there. And as he grew older, of course, he, he grew accustomed to his surroundings and he learned the Gaelic language. My dad used to throw out Gaelic in the house at home just to kind of confuse us. But he learned this language, which is a very difficult language to learn, and he learned their customs. And uh, most importantly, while he was in captivity, he came to know Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. Well, as the story goes, after several years, he was able to escape and return home to England. But very shortly thereafter, God put a calling on his life and called him back to Ireland. Now, I want you to imagine what that would be like for you. What would that be like if you spent years as a prisoner? You've spent years away from home and you finally get back home and God says to you, go back. Go back. What would that be like? Some say he had a vision of a bishop who was carrying some mail and handed him a letter. And in the letter, it talked about the voices of the Irish. And then he felt like he heard all these voices calling him to come back to Ireland. Imagine if that happened to you. Would you you know, kind of waffle around on that? Would you be struggling with that, trying to figure out if you should go or not? I mean, but Lord, I want to stay in England. I only just got here. I want to open up my own fish and chip shop. I want to get married and have children. I've lost all this time. I got to make up for all that time that's lost. I want to settle down. And God says, go back. I died for those people too. The stories vary, but they all agree that Patrick went willingly as a missionary to Ireland, what we call today a global worker. Now, that's where the legend part really picks up, and there are a lot of people who've told this story. We're not absolutely sure that it's history, but here's how the story goes. The story goes that on Easter Sunday in the year 433, a local Irish king issued a decree to observe a pagan Druid festival. And that festival prohibited anyone from lighting a candle or a flame. But Patrick refused to honor that. He didn't want to honor anyone but Jesus. And so on that morning before dawn, he climbed the highest hill in the area. And he lit a signal fire. And so as people woke up, they could see Patrick's defiance of the king. 
He would not hide his light. He was showing the people of Ireland that God's light shines in the darkness and only God deserves praise. Legend says that years later, an unknown composer wrote a melody in honor of St. Patrick's heroism. The song is called Slain, S-L-A-N-E, Slain. And, and it's named for Slain Hill, the hill in Ireland that he's believed to climb to light that signal of fire, the place where he rebelled and where he shone his light for Jesus. Even today, people remember that melody, that slain, and they all know that it was written in honor of St. Patrick. When God is our vision, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, as the writer of the Hebrews says, we can throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Why is it when we're running the race that race towards Jesus, that race towards heaven, why is it that we can so easily get tangled up and stumble? It just seems so easy to get off track, so easy to leave the path. In fact, leaving the path is almost the very definition of what sin is. Think about what distracts you. What distracts you from the path? I would suggest that it's different things for different people. What tempts you what draws you away may not tempt me or draw me away. But St. John says that it all comes down to three certain things. In 1 John 2, 15 and 16, he says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Sometimes the world is so attractive. You ever notice that? Sin looks pretty good. The world is attractive. It's hard to resist. Now, when we use this word lust that John uses here, um, we think of sexual desire most of the time, but, but the Bible uses it a lot more broadly than that. It means an unhealthy desire for anything. Anything. Lust involves longing. So we all long for different things. Maybe we long for recognition or fame. Maybe we long for possessions or things. Maybe we desire to possess someone. We covet a person rather than possessions. Maybe it's pride that gets us off the path. When we take our eyes off Jesus, it's so easy to distort Christian faith. Like a lot of the rest of the Christian world in the last while, I've been listening to a, a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. I don't know if any of you have listened to it, but I highly recommend it. Um, it's the story, uh, Mike Cosper is the host of the show. I've been listening to Mike for several years, and and he's done such a good job on this. Um, Christianity Today sponsors the show. But it's an in-depth look at Mars Hill Church under the leadership of Mark Driscoll. It was a church that accomplished some really, really great things. I mean, literally thousands of people came to Jesus through this church. 
They fed the poor. They did amazing ministry. They created some awesome music. They were probably the sort of the greatest of the megachurches. And uh, they practically founded the idea of using social media to spread the faith. Uh, I remember they were the first church or one of the first churches to have their sermons online. So a lot of us used to listen because he was a really great preacher. Well, from 1996 until the church imploded in 2014, they were the megachurch of megachurches. And they planted literally dozens of congregations. But the pride of life and the arrogance of self brought the entire place down in pieces. It's a, it's a cautionary tale. It's a sad tale because here's someone who started out so well. Someone who did many great things for God, loved people. But it came to such ruin. And it brought ruin to so many different lives when that church came crashing down. And people, these years later, are still trying to recover from what happened there. You know, recently we've seen a lot of our heroes fall, right? Man, some of my heroes, Ravi Zacharias, and Bill Hybels, and there's so many we can add to the list who've really had their, their ministries just come crashing down. We start the race well, and for a little while we run that race really well, and then we take our eyes off Christ, and Jesus is no longer our vision. Our vision is church growth. Our vision is to trust in ourselves. We end up taking a wrong turn and crashing. And you know, it's not just pastors who make this mistake. It's all of us as Christians, if we're not keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, it's so easy to take a wrong turn. The lyrics of this song, Be Thou My Vision, they have their own story. There's an Irish poet, his name was, and I'm going to try and pronounce this right, Dalen Forgail. And he wrote a Gaelic poem with a name I cannot pronounce. But it was in honor of St. Patrick. He borrowed words from another medieval poem or prayer called St. Patrick's Breastplate. And it's one of my favorite prayers. And he used words from it like battle shield and high tower that are, we sang them this morning. They're still part of that hymn. I want to read you a part of that prayer this morning. St. Patrick's Breastplate, it's called. There's a part of it on the screen there. It's quite long. But according to tradition, Patrick wrote in 433 A.D., the same year as the king prohibited the light in honor of the pagan gods. According to tradition, Patrick wrote it for protection when he challenged the king with his fire on Slain Hill. It's called the Lorica of St. Patrick. Let me read it, and we'll read up to this part here. I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils and from the temptation of vices, from everyone who shall wish me ill afar and near. And then this part here on the screen, Christ with me, 
Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, and Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. The poem is, is a lot longer than that, but you can see the pattern, can't you? Is the poem about me? About you? Is this prayer focused in self? Is it about what I can get from God, what God can give me? It's not, is it? It's centered, even a prayer for protection, it's centered in Christ himself. You can see Patrick's life reflected in the words that are written here. That focus on Jesus was unshakable. He denied himself and he followed God's call to save others for whom Jesus died, even his former enemies. And that focus on Jesus made him climb that hill and burn a fire to deny the Druid gods and witness to the one true God. And that prayer for protection focused on God himself. Christian faith today has become, a lot of the time, about what I can get from God, what God can do for me. But Christian faith, if it's Christian faith, must be focused on Christ himself. Otherwise, it's just a poor imitation. I don't know if you know just how much Jesus wants to bless you with his presence if you just keep your eyes on him. So there's one more part to this story that I want to share with you. As the years passed... For a little while, this tune that was written in honor of St. Patrick slain and this poem or prayer that is called St. Patrick's Breastplate, they, they kind of drifted away. People knew about them. They maybe didn't remember them all that much. They've mostly forgotten them. And then in 1905, 1,500 years after St. Patrick lit that fire, a woman named Mary Byrne, she was a 25-year-old university student. She found a 14th century copy of Fergale's poem, and she translated it into English for the very first time. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. And then, a few years later, in 1912, an Irish woman by the name of Eleanor Hull read those words and decided to set them to music. And the music she chose was Slain, that medieval tune written in honor of St. Patrick's bravery. And you know, last year was the 100th anniversary of that song. And singing it this morning, this is an affirmation of our focus. Where's our focus? Our focus is on Jesus, right? Be thou my vision. Vision is a great secular buzzword of our age. 
Let's say you have a great idea for a widget, a really good widget. You can dream it, you can design it, you can develop it, you can see it through manufacturing all the way to retail. You could have amazing widgets. In fact, there's nothing really wrong with that. But as they see you developing these great widgets, people call you a widget visionary. But just because you have a vision for widgets doesn't necessarily mean that your vision is from God. Understand? Maybe you're just good at widgets. Let me challenge you with something this morning. To stop placing your faith in men and women of vision. Think about that for a moment. Because don't we go looking for those kinds of people? Those people with vision? But you know, ultimately, putting all or most of our focus on them is idolatry. Let me challenge you to put your eyes on Jesus to put your faith in the only one who deserves our faith. I want you to think about where John was. We've been talking about Revelation since the beginning of the year. We're going to go back to it in a few weeks. Think about where John was when Jesus spoke to him. It says he was in the Spirit. It means he was worshiping God. He was likely praying and worshiping God. And God spoke to him. God revealed himself to John and revealed his plan to John as John had his eyes on Jesus. The hymn we've been talking about says, Be thou my vision. In other words, Jesus, you be my vision. What happens when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we run the race of God? What's at the end of the race if we keep our eyes on Jesus? Well, the Apostle Paul said this at the end of his life. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. May that be our testimony as we make Jesus our vision, our focus in this life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I feel that my life is needing your direction more and more. I need a divine vision of you. I need a godly understanding of you, a deeper relationship with you. Lord, I want to know you more, and I want to love you better. I admit that at times I, I feel like my Christian life has just been scratching the surface of who you are. And I long to be like Job who said, I have heard about you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. Lord, he saw you with his spiritual eyes. And Lord, I desire to have that intimate vision of you too. Lord, I, I shrink back from having to go through the difficulties and the trials that 
Job and others have had to experience, but, but I want your vision. Give me that inner vision of yourself, I pray, your character, your person, your love, and draw me ever closer to you so that I too may say, my ears have heard all about you, but now I have a vision of who you truly are. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our true vision. Amen.